You're listening to Comedy Central. December 3rd, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Tonight has been hailed as one of the greatest authors of our generation. Tanahasi Coates is going to be joining us, everybody. We're going to be chatting about his first novel called The Water Dancer. Also on tonight's show, one of the biggest Democrats drops out of the race, how to eat meat without eating meat, and Donald Trump has invaded the UK. So let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with Facebook the world's largest social media company and website that reminds you it's the birthday of someone you met once. (laughs) Recently, it came out that Mark Zuckerberg, CEO of Facebook and boring Terminator, had a secret (laughs) meeting with President Trump at the White House. And now for the first time, Zuckerberg is being asked what that meeting was about. You don't want to take down political ads that people know are false, that they contain false information. What I believe is that in a democracy, it's really important that people can see for themselves what politicians are saying so that they can make their own judgments. You had dinner with the president of the White House. What was the nature of the meeting, can you say? Uh, sure. I mean, we talked about um, a, a number of things that were, that were on his mind and, um, and some of the topics that you'd read about in the news around, around um, our work. Did he try to lobby you in any way? Uh, uh, no. I mean, I, I don't think that that's... That, uh, I think some of the stuff that people talk about or think gets discussed in these discussions are not really how, okay. how that works. I also want to respect that it was a private dinner, okay. right, and it's a private right. discussion. Oh, so now Mark Zuckerberg was leaving in privacy, huh? Now you're like, oh no, privacy is a thing. Oh, I think everyone should know uh, what politicians are saying. Oh, what did the politicians say to you? I, I don't think anyone should know what the politicians <laughs> are saying. Get the Zuck out of here, man. Also, I don't know what's going on with Zuckerberg but he sounds less human every time he speaks. Yeah, he's like, in a democracy, we must share our voices, and weather today is gonna be partly cloudy, 64 degrees. It almost sounds like Siri is his voice coach. You know, like, she's trying, like, just speak normally, like this. Okay, this is me talking normally. It's like, that was terrible. You sound like that Roomba I dated. And also, let's be real. There's no way Trump didn't lobby Zuckerberg at their secret meeting. Because why else would the president have him come to the White House? What, did Trump need help untagging himself in Eric's photos? Why was he there, huh? Because if Trump didn't want anything, then you have to believe that he just wanted to hang out with Mark Zuckerberg? Really? Because these two have nothing in common. Like, what, what would that conversation even be like? I like models. Do you like models? I genuinely love data models and algorithmic sets that prove the way that we... No, I mean supermodel. This guy sucks. Anyway, let's move on. Because while Facebook is coming under fire for its shady political ads, there's a non-political ad that's taken social media by storm. As the Christmas season spins into high gear, a new ad from Peloton is going viral for all the wrong reasons, facing backlash after sending shoppers into a vicious cycle. 
Peloton. Give it up for our first time riding. All right, first ride. I'm a little nervous, but excited. Let's do this. Five days in a row. You surprised? I am. 6 a.m. Yay. Rising with the sun. That was totally worth it. A year ago, I didn't realize how much this would change me. Thank you. Criticism and mockery of the ad reaching a fever pitch Monday on social media. One man tweeting, nothing says maybe you should lose a few pounds like gifting your already rail-thin life partner a Peloton. Oh, man. Okay, look, I, I can see why some people are hating on this ad, honestly. I mean, it looks like the dude bought his skinny wife exercise equipment as a Christmas present, which is shitty. Although, let's be honest, it would have been worse if Santa had brought her that bike, you know? <laughs> if he was just like, I think you need this more than I do, ho, 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 ho. And I know some people are outraged at the husband for giving her this kind of gift. Although, if you, if you ask me, I think your reaction to this ad has a lot to do with how you feel about exercise, right? Because clearly she wanted the bike. It's not like she was like, what is that? She wanted it, right? And if you think exercise is only for people who want to lose weight, then the ad can seem insensitive. But on the other hand, if you think exercise is something people do for fun, then the ad is, is fine, you know? I mean, people exercise for all different reasons, for stress relief, fitness, or if you're like me, for revenge. <laughs> Once I get strong enough to punch through a brick, I'll get my revenge on that brick that killed my uncle. Yeah! <laughs> all right, and finally, there are now just 335 days until the 2020 presidential election. Yeah, which is almost enough time to watch The Irishman. And the <laughs> Democrats are still figuring out their nominee. But after today, there'll be one less name to consider. Breaking news in our 2020 lead. After a promising start with huge crowds and impressive fundraising numbers, California Democratic Senator Kamala Harris this afternoon announced she is dropping out of the race for president. It is with deep regret, but also with deep gratitude, that I am suspending our campaign today. But I want to be clear with you. I am still very much in this fight. Wow. Kamala Harris has dropped out of the 2020 race. And I... I don't think anybody saw this coming. Right? Because when this race started, she was one of the favorites. This has been a twist. It's like how in season seven of Game of Thrones, we all thought Daenerys would become queen, but then in season eight, we realized it was a shit TV show that none of us should have watched. <laughs> Just wasted our time. Destroyed our lives. Now, what's been really interesting for me is to see the conversations that have been sparked by Kamala dropping out. Like, some people say it proves that even in the Democratic Party, black women don't have the support that they deserve, right? But others say there wasn't enough black girl magic to erase Kamala's record as a prosecutor. You know, in a way, I think it's a little bit of both. All I know is, Cory Booker, I'm gonna say a phrase you've probably never heard before in your life. You are now the blackest person in the room. <laughs> Don't let us down, Corey. Don't let us down. <laughs> you know, another reason this came as a shock is because Kamala had comfortably qualified for the next debate. Yeah, and she chose to drop out. She was in the next debate. Meanwhile, people like Marion Williamson are still in the race. It doesn't make any sense. Like, she, you realize she hasn't dropped out. She's not in the debates, but she's still in there. <laughs> You know what I think Marion Williamson's plan is? Is to be that one fighter at WrestleMania who hides under the ring while everyone else gets knocked out. And then at the end, she's just gonna sneak in with a thing and just be like, Joe Biden, bam! I am the nominee! All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on to our top story.
The impeachment of Donald Trump is getting closer. Today, the Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee released a 300-page report outlining the conclusions of their impeachment inquiry. And while all of this was going on in D.C., Trump hopped on Air Force One and flew to the U.K. And obviously, I'm not saying Trump is fleeing the country, but it was weird that he only bought a one-way ticket. <laughs> it was also weird that he bought a ticket for his own plane. Yeah, the pilot was like, Mr. President, you don't need a ticket for this. This is Air Force One. He's like, oh, yeah? Then why does it say one-way ticket on this KFC napkin? You explain that to me. <laughs> now, obviously, I'm joking, man. The real reason Trump was headed to the UK was for a major NATO summit between America and its European allies. And in classic Trump fashion, he began the trip with a bang. President Trump kicked off his meetings here in London with a freewheeling impromptu press conference and some harsh words for French President Emmanuel Macron. Asked about recent comments by French President Macron that NATO is becoming brain dead, he hit back hard. Very, very nasty statements. You just can't go around making statements like that about NATO. It's very disrespectful. In the past, President Trump has had his own harsh words towards NATO. NATO is, is obsolete, it's old, it's fat, it's sloppy. NATO is old, fat, and sloppy? <laughs> Why is it that every insult Trump uses against others always seems to rarely be about himself? <laughs> no, I don't know if you've noticed this. Every time he mocks other people, it's like it's a pain that's inside of him that he's trying to project onto others. Like, where did he get... It's almost like he's taking notes during his fights with Melania. Like, everything he says, he's like, fat and sloppy, that's good. I'm gonna use that. <laughs> um, and how am I in bed? Maybe there's something in there. <laughs> now, just so we're all on the same page, what basically happened here is the French president said that NATO was becoming brain dead, partly because Trump's administration had stopped supporting it. And Trump, as the proud owner of a dying brain, thought Macron was insulting him <laughs> personally. But that's not the only reason there's been animosity between France and the U.S. right now. Because as the summit goes on, there's also a trade war heating up between the two countries. The Trump administration is now threatening tariffs of up to 100% on $2.4 billion worth of French imports, including wine, cheese, and handbags. The new tariffs are retaliation against new French taxes targeting U.S. tech companies like Apple and Google. I'm not necessarily in love with those companies, uh, but uh, there are companies. There are American companies. I want to tax those companies. They're not going to be taxed by France. I'm not going to let people take advantage of American companies because if anyone's going to take advantage of the American companies, it's going to be us. It's not going to be France. Yo! No, I'm sorry. Donald Trump is rock and roll, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. How dare you take advantage of American companies? That's what I was going to do. This man is one of a kind. He's like the world's worst superhero, you know? He'll, like, stop a mugger who's robbing an old lady, but only so he can fly off with her purse. It's mine! <laughs> so, yes, in response to France announcing taxes on American tech com companies, Trump is now threatening to tax all the most cliched French goods, like wine, cheese, and handbags. Yeah. He was probably also gonna tax French fries and mistresses, but that hit too close to home. <laughs> now, although Trump plans to punish France by taking as much from them as possible, earlier today, when he actually sat down with President Macron, he did offer to give France something in return. We have uh, 
a tremendous amount of captured fighters, ISIS fighters, over in Syria. And uh, they're all under lock and key. But many are from France, many are from Germany, many are from UK. They're mostly from Europe. I have not spoken to the president about that. Uh, would you like some nice ISIS fighters? Yes. I can give them to you. Can take, you can take everyone you want. <coughs> Let's be serious. Uh, a very large number of fighters you have on the ground are uh, fighters coming from Syria, from Iraq, and the region. It is true that you have foreign fighters coming from Europe, but this is a tiny minority of the overall problem we have in the region. This is why he's a great politician, because that was one of the greatest non-answers I've ever heard. <laughs> and that's okay. God damn. That whole meeting got, as the French say, very f***ing uncomfortable, <laughs> s'il vous plaît. I mean, just look at Macron. You can see from his body language, he's trying to hold himself back. <laughs> but deep down, he's thinking, I swear to God, this buffoon is gonna make me cut a bitch. I swear to God. <laughs> I swear to God, oh my God, I'm the king. And what a turn this relationship has taken, huh? I mean, just last year, Trump and Macron were giving each other friendship trees. Remember that? <laughs> and now Trump is offering to send him ISIS. <laughs> it's pretty dark that Trump would offer to send ISIS fighters to Macron as a gift. But I guess on the other hand, we have found the one gift that's worse than a Peloton. <laughs> we'll be right back. So my guest tonight is a best-selling author and National Book Award winner whose debut novel, novel is called The Water Dancer. Please welcome Tanahasi Coates. <laughs> welcome back to the show. Glad to be here. This yeah? is the last thing I'm doing. This is your last press for the book, like, ever. Yes. This is a good day, I don't want to talk about it ever again. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have been on a whirlwind with this book, though, because, yeah. I mean, like, you, you, you're ending it here, but, I mean, it kicked off in a place few authors dream of their book ever kicking off, and that was with Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. I remember Oprah, like, made a video, and she was like, guys, my book club is coming back. Right. And people were like, oh, what's the book? Right. And she was like, Tanahasi Coates, right. The Water Dancer. And, right. I mean, it's, it's just blown up. Like, from the, How did that even come about, you and Oprah and the book? How did that come about? Um, well, as I've said now several times, um, not that I mind saying it here again. <laughs> no, tell us how you here. hate to be here, Tanahasi. <laughs> tell all these people how you hate them for me. <laughs> Very happy to be here. Um, so I worked on this for a long time. Um, right. So I worked on it for, um, actually it took about 10 years from, you know, we both had the same editor. And when right. I finished my first book, Chris Jackson, he said, you should try a novel. And it finally got done. And it's the funniest thing because when it was done, you never know who is going to be touched or moved by That's what true. you're writing. Right. Because it was never like, oh, this clearly is a book, you know, that Oprah Winfrey would be very interested in. 
And then, um, I don't even know how you do that. You know what I mean? But whatever that, that, it was, Can I weren't. tell you, that would be the most amount of hubris to have as a person. If you finish writing a book yes. and you're like, this is a book Oprah yes. Winfrey is Natural, natural. Oprah put, <laughs> got it, you know? But no, and then um, I, I got a call, man. I, I was actually coming back uh, from vacation with my wife and I got a text message and the text message said from Chris, um, you have to be available at 10.30, it's a very important call. And it was Oprah Winfrey. It was Oprah Winfrey. And, and since then, it, it really has been a beautiful journey for not just the book, but yourself. Because, like, a lot of people know you as, as a writer who, who critiques and analyzes America, its yeah. history and its presence, and how the history has affected the presence and how people don't want to deal with that. But the novel is a completely different world for you. I mean, I mean obviously, you've written comics, but, right. but this is fiction right. that is in a very real place. You write about uh, the character in the book who has who lives in a world... And, and this is what, what really intrigues me about the book, is you don't refer to the people in the book as slaves. Yeah. This is when it's taking place, yeah. you know? Yeah. In and around slavery in America. But right. you, you're very selective about the words you use. Why don't you call the people slaves? And why don't you say they are slaves and as a slave? And you, you don't do that. Why? Well, uh, I, like, for African-Americans, um, particularly, there is... Um, and one day we'll have to talk about whether it's the same way with apartheid. But there, there is a popular notion in the mindset of what, what I now call enslavement was. You know, and so there's this idea of you know, rape, chains, whips, you know, roots, you know, your name right, is totally right. like that. That's what people... And so what you have to do is like, you have to make it your own and you have to create a kind of image almost or a world. Like it's... Slavery, but it's your slavery, if that makes any sense. It's your rendition of it, um, your vision of it. I wanted something that did not um, exist. And so a strong part of that, man, is you know, coming up with new ways to describe it. And so to get new ways to describe it, you need new words, you know? Interesting. Why do you, wh why do you choose to place it in this time? I mean, you know, we live in a world where people might say, there's so many stories out yeah. there. You know, it feels like we always talk about slavery. But you chose to tell an extremely unique story. Yeah in a very familiar world. Yeah, well, there's the big reason and the small reason. small reason is the world that I was, you know, the period of, in American history I was most entranced by. Um, the larger reason is so much of our own culture actually comes out of that period indirectly or directly. So you think about, like, say, Gone with the Wind, right? Which is, you know, what? I guess the most published, you know, novel in American history. Uh, you think about something like Birth of a Nation, which is responded to a period after that, but is rooted right. in that and sets the table for all of American film. You think about all of the Westerns that basically are sequels, you know, coming out of the Civil War. There's always some, you know, guy who fought for the Confederacy um, that, you know, ends up you know, out in the West trying to make good. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just wanted to go to the source of it, man. You know what I mean? I wanted to try to tell it from my perspective, you know, and do it in a different way. What really surprised me about the book is I didn't know what to expect at all. You go, Tanahasi's gonna write this book, yeah. and then you open the first few pages and you're reading about this guy, Hiram, and you're like, wait, right. this is a story that seems to be about slavery, and it's like, no, it's not. It's a right. story of a people right. who are trying to achieve something, right. and he has these superpowers that he, he discovers. And, and what's really interesting is, is it's not just a flight of fancy. It's, it's a really powerful exploration into, like, what your superpower may right. be as a person, right. you know? Like, right. how, how you talk about how people were freedom fighters and what they did right. during that time. Right. Why did you choose superpowers? Why did you choose... Like, were you inspired by the world of, you know, you were writing on Black Panther, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that part of it, or was it just you trying to create something completely different? No, honestly, it was the other way around. I mean, it is, I guess, to my great benefit that, like, I had 10 years to, to get it, you know what I mean? To yeah. basically learn to write a novel. 
You know, it's almost wrong to say I was working on it. I had 10 years to learn to write a novel, and this is the result of it. And so I actually started this. I mean, this book is older than Between the World and Me. It's older than We Were Eight Years in Power. It's older than The Case for Reparations. It's wow. definitely older than Black Panther and all, all of that stuff. So I had all of that before I, I came to this. Um, you know, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. Harriet Tubman was like a superhero. She's from Maryland. You know, the way she was described, right, the things right. she did. And so it didn't feel like a leap to put that aspect in the book. It felt natural. Right. Know? Just to have like the Harriet Tubman vibe, because in many ways she was, you know, like I, I like the way you've spoken about it before where you say it's like she was teleporting people in a way. Like yes. one minute they were here, the next thing yes, exactly. they were gone, exactly. out of slavery into exactly. a different world. Exactly. You've also done something really interesting here that I feel was purposeful, and that is you have centered the women in the mm-hmm. story. And you, you are one of the people who tackled your critics head on. Some people say, hey, Tanahasi, you're an amazing writer, mm-hmm. but I don't see you telling many of the stories in and around not mm-hmm. just women, but black women. Mm-hmm. For the black man, you speak mm-hmm. strong. Mm-hmm. Black women seem to be left out. In this mm-hmm. book, though, mm-hmm. you have a lead character who has powers, mm-hmm. who's fighting for freedom, mm-hmm. who's fighting an injustice system, but the women around him seem to be part of the reason he can do what he does. Yeah, and I think, like, your responsibility is, 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 as a writer is to balance two impulses. Um, like I said, this book is older, so all of the characters in this book are actually older mm-hmm. than, you know, like, uh, whatever. I mean, it was nonfiction, but, right, you know, right, but yeah. the conception of, of Between the World and Me. Um, you have to, on the one hand, like, legitimately hear your critics and actually listen, and then at the same time, like, be strong in what your, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, following what you your vision. Trying to do, yeah. You know what I mean? Because you can never just, you know, write for a crowd, but the crowd is not wrong. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like you gotta like you gotta find some sort of way to be yourself and be the writer that you mm-hmm. need to be um, without demonizing people that may not see, you know, things the way you 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 see it. Right, right, right. You know? Um, do you think this book might make it easier for some people to delve into the conversations in and around slavery because it exists in a fantastical world? You know, sometimes people mm. can't deal with Nonfiction, because they're like, oh, I this. Whereas when it's, you know, when it's in a fantastical world, yeah. there's this element of like, oh, yeah. that story was great, yeah, and yeah, that hero yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. Do you think there's a part of that 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 you hope would it would achieve? I do. I mean, I, I think like you take something like The Wire, right? The politics of David Simon are quite clear. He's made them quite clear. Mm-hmm. But there are people who do not share his politics who love The Wire. Right. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know what effect that actually has on actual politics, you know what I mean? So I don't know, you know, probably people who could probably read this book, they probably would not agree with me on reparations and all sorts of, you know, other things. But, you know, when things are in the form of a story, people just, they just take it differently, you know? Let me ask you one thing before I let you go and, and rest. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, because I know, I know how strenuous yes, a book yes. tour can be. I got a whole um, waiting for me. Yeah, here. man. Um, <laughs> I do want to know this. You know, you, yes, you wrote the book. You still write. You still yes. ponder. You, you're still out there in the yeah. zeitgeist. One of the articles you wrote mm-hmm. has, has drawn a lot of attention. Obviously, criticism, backlash, support, mm-hmm. all of the above. Mm-hmm. And you wrote about Colin Kaepernick. Mm. Fascinating article about the cancellation of Colin Kaepernick and cancel culture as a whole. One of the most beautiful sections, and I'll paraphrase you, forgive me, is mm-hmm. where you talk about how people like to make it seem like cancel culture mm-hmm. is a tool that is only being used today <laughs> yeah. by liberal students and, right. you know, the snowflake left, et cetera. Right. But you say cancel culture has for long been wielded by those who control the levers yeah. of power. I mean, one of the earliest acts in, you know, proto-American history is, like, 
the killing of women up at Salem because they looked at somebody wrong or some, you know, some other, you know, right. the Salem witch trials. I mean, and this goes through all of our history, you know, the gag rule during the period of enslavement, you know, uh, the blacklist, uh, reconstruction, you know, up, up, up to this very day, you know, where Trump, you know, routinely writes people off, you know, for all sorts of, you know, uh, uh, minor league reasons. And yet, when we see, you know, some kids or some college student, you know, some college students, you know, whatever, get mad about something, like suddenly that, that, that's history's greatest enemy. Right. You know? Now um, they've gone too far. Right, 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 right. I mean, in the case of Colin Kaepernick, I mean, listen, you had a president of the United States who used basically the authority, you know, and, uh, you know, the majesty of the state to threaten the NFL into keeping this guy out of earning a living that he had been training for since he was a kid. I mean, what more effective and devastating act of cancellation can you come with? That don't match anything that, you know, some kids in a, in a, in a cafeteria somewhere, you know, or in a quad who don't like Milo, you know, have done. Mm -hmm. And yet we find ourselves, you know, focusing on that. You know what I mean? And I, you know, as I you know, argue in the piece, I think that has a lot more to do with um, uh, who is doing the canceling than it does with, you know, what we think about canceling. Oh, that's interesting. He will get canceled all the time. And some people should be canceled, by the way, you know? But who is canceling can affect how we see the canceling. That's it. That's it. That's My friend, it. thank you so much for coming back onto the show. Thank you, Charlie. I hope Thanks you so rest. Much. I hope you chill. I hope nobody <laughs> asks you about this book ever again. I want to hear about it. <laughs> ever again. <laughs> Buy the book, read the book, but don't ask them about the book. The Water Dancer is available now. Tanahasi Coates, everybody. <laughs> The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 